Welcome to Legal Tips, a podcast series from the Tort Trial and Insurance Practice Section of the American Bar Association, also known as TIPS. As leaders in trial practice and issues of justice involving tort and insurance law, TIPS brings together plaintiffs, defense, corporate, and in-house counsel to tackle issues confronting the legal profession. Welcome to Legal Tips. I'm Ginger Busby, the 2008-2009 TIPS Vice Chair, and I'm today's host. Legal Tips is designed to present you with a balanced discussion of thought-provoking issues and suggest creative approaches and solutions to problems that arise in the practice of tort and insurance law. TIPS prides itself in its diversity, including diversity in its practice law areas. The section has 35 areas of substantive law committees, from admiralty to employment to insurance and even animal law. That's right, TIPS houses the only committee devoted to the practice of animal law in the entire American Bar Association. The Animal Law Committee, celebrating its fifth anniversary this October, addresses a wide range of issues. In today's episode, my co-host, Jill Mariani, a former chair of the Animal Law Committee, interviews Peggy Hoyt, a Florida Trust and Estates attorney, about estate planning for your pet through the formation of a pet trust. Legislation permitting pet trusts have been enacted in most states. In fact, in April 2009, Maryland became the 40th state to have law protecting pet trusts. So sit back and give a listen. The title of this podcast is Creating a Pet Trust as an Estate Planning Tool for the Care of Companion Animals. Planning for the care of a companion animal is an emotional and a very important topic for a person to consider. If left to chance after a person's death, a companion animal may end up being taken to a shelter and euthanized. We are fortunate today to have an opportunity to speak with Peggy Hoyt, a prominent Florida Trust and Estates attorney of the law offices of Hoyt and Bryan. She has written several books, conducted workshops, and spoken extensively on the topic, including being interviewed on CNN Financial News. This is part one of a two-part series. Today, Ms. Hoyt will discuss the components of a pet trust as an estate planning tool for the continuing care of a companion animal after one's death. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you, Jilda. It's my pleasure to be here today. Peggy, what motivated you to concentrate on this area of law? I chose to concentrate in this area of the law because although estate planning is my practice love, pets are really my true love. I looked around my house one day and I realized I had a huge number of children who wore fur coats. In addition, my dad served as president and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States from 1970 till 1997, so being focused on animals was natural for me. Let's start with a simple question. What is a pet trust? That's a great question. A pet trust is really a contract that you make basically with yourself for the care of your pets. It can be created either during your lifetime as an inter vivos trust or it can be created at death as a testamentary trust or what I call a standby trust. And that can be included either in an existing trust or in your last will and testament. What states have a pet trust statute? About 41 states today have pet trust statutes, and and that's really amazing to me because when I first got interested in pet trusts, I'm in the state of Florida. Florida was one of the very earliest states to adopt the pet trust statutes, but um, we've had two versions of a pet trust statute now, one that was adopted in April of 2002 and our new pet trust statute, which went into effect in Florida on July 1st of 2007. 
But with the growing number of states that are adopting pet trust statutes, it's hard to keep up with who's doing what. So if people are interested in more information on whether or not their state has adopted a pet trust statute, one of the best websites I've found is maintained by attorney Stephen Baker, and it's www.estateplanningforpet.org. What are some of the factors that will determine whether the creation of a pet trust would be appropriate for a particular client? That's a great question. One of the things that I had intended to say a moment ago had not only to do with the creation of pet trust, but also just the inclusion of pets in your estate plan from a disability planning standpoint. Should we include our pets as part of our health care powers of attorney or part of our financial powers of attorney? So that's going to be one of the things. So what are the goals of the client? What are they trying to accomplish on behalf of their pets? And then if a pet trust is appropriate, what is the purpose for which that trust is being created? Is it going to be to take care of a single pet? Is it going to take care of multiple pets? Are people also going to be included as part of the pet trust provisions like I have for my spouse and for my pets? Then we want to consider what are the assets that are going to be used to fund that pet trust and what are the types of pets that will benefit from the pet trust? And this can be important because of the type of care that a pet might be require. Are we going to be providing for dogs and cats or are we going to be providing for longer-lived animals like horses or parrots or some sorts of reptiles? And then the last thing that I ask folks to consider is who might be the other potential beneficiaries of the trust. This could include family, it could be friends, or it could even be charitable organizations. But Peggy, can someone create a pet trust for someone else's animals? For example, suppose a grandmother wants to provide for her granddaughter with enough money to take care of the granddaughter's loving pet horses. Can the grandmother create a pet trust for her granddaughter? Yes, the grandmother can create a trust for the benefit of the granddaughter that um, could be done one of two ways, really. One, the grandmother could say that the trust for the benefit of her granddaughter had had specific instructions that would allow the use of those assets to provide also for the care and maintenance of the granddaughter's horses. So that would be one way that you could do it. A second way is the grandmother could create a pet trust just for the benefit of the horses. And this pet trust could exist either during the grandmother's lifetime or could be created at the time of the grandmother's death. And this pet trust would presumably last as long as the horses were living and um, allow the pet to, to qualify as the pet trust beneficiary. So the horses in this case would be the pet trust beneficiaries. One of the issues that the grandmother might want to consider, though, during that um, conference with her attorney is whether or not um, what would happen if that horse or horses were to have any offspring during the time that the pet trust was in existence. And Peggy, you mentioned that some clients have long-lived animals such as horses and parrots. Do they present any particular issues? They definitely can present issues. Um, in some states, there's a time period in which the trust must end. For example, some statutes say that the trust must end within 21 years of creation of that trust. So if we were talking about a horse that was young at the time of creation, 21 years might not be long enough to last that horse's lifetime. Certainly would not be long enough to last a parrot's intended lifetime. So that could be a problem. But in Florida, our trust statute says that it would last for 
the lifetime of the pet as long as that pet was living at the time of the trust creator's death. So thinking about how long the pet might live is going to be a very important consideration, either in how the trust is constructed or in the state that the trust should be constructed in. Peggy, after reading one of your books, the one entitled All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet, I realized that there's no one special person that you should be considering for the care of your animal, but several. So could we go through each one of them one at a time? Absolutely. Let's take the first. The first one that I would consider is going to be who's going to be the caregiver for the pet. And although many of my clients come in and say, well, I have such and such a person in mind for the care of my pets, I push them even further. They have to tell me, well, who's going to take care of the pet if you can't take care of the pet, if that person that you choose can't take care of the pet? Who's going to be the alternate caregiver? And then again, who's going to be a secondary caregiver? People will say, well, who should I choose as my pet caregiver? And that's going to depend on your circumstances. Do you have trusted family members or friends that could be counted on to provide the type of care that's required for your pets? Or if you don't have people that are willing to provide the kind of care that you think might be appropriate, what about a perpetual care organization or a rescue organization or some other type of facility, including some universities that may be good choices? And this is a topic that comes up all the time. In fact, I just got an email earlier today from a client saying, I don't know who to leave my pets to. Can you recommend an organization? So who's the next person to consider? The next would be the trustee. And the trustee is the person that would be responsible for the day-to-day management of the trust assets, for investing those assets, for following the terms of the trust, for making distribution decisions, for actually writing the checks and doing the annual accountings if that was appropriate, depending on the structure of the trust. Again, this trustee could be an individual that you trust. It could be a family member, a friend, or a relative. It could be an accountant, it could be your attorney, or it could be a corporate fiduciary. But the things that are important to consider are going to be how much money is going to be in the trust, how long we think the trust may be in existence, whether or not there's particular skills that this individual needs for managing money, keeping the books, and then we always want to consider the personal integrity of the person that we ask to hold this trustee role. I know lots of clients that want to choose individuals because they think that it's probably less expensive in the long run to have an individual as opposed to like a corporate fiduciary to be their trustee. And I'm not sure that that's always the case. Many times I've seen individual trustees not have the level of experience that could be necessary to provide the proper asset management for the trust. But then some people would argue that the downside to a professional trustee is that they could have a minimum asset requirement, and if our pet trust doesn't meet those asset requirements, they may be prevented from serving. Now, are there any other persons that should be considered? There are, actually, and there's a couple more. One is um, what some people like to call an enforcer. I actually call that person a trust protector. And a trust protector could be someone who's not a trustee of the trust and is not the pet caregiver, but really an independent third party who might be able to make decisions regarding the trust, regarding the appointment of trustees, perhaps the appointment of replacement caregivers. It's really somebody who's designed to protect 
the best interests of the trust beneficiaries and carry out the intentions of the trust maker. And then this last role that could be formed is a role that I don't know that I can take full credit for this, but I call it an animal care panel. And this might actually be a group of people who have volunteered to oversee the activities of the trustee and or the caregiver to make sure that the pets are being cared for in the way that the trust maker desired. For example... My pet trust has an animal care panel that consists of several of my girlfriends who are horse lovers as well as pet lovers, and it also includes my veterinarian. And it includes different people for different purposes. It includes my horse vet for my horses, and then it includes my small animal vet for my smaller animals. Peggy, in your experience, what are some of the common mistakes that a person makes in creating a pet trust? There are a couple, actually. One, I think, is failure to spend enough time thinking about the issues that affect a person's pets on a long-term basis. And that means really thinking about who are the important people that are going to play a role in the pet's life and then thinking about how that pet really needs to be cared for. So that's the first common mistake. A second common mistake would be the failure to provide sufficient resources so providing enough money to provide adequate lifetime care for the pets. A third mistake might be the failure to name an appropriate or a sufficient number of pet caregivers, people that could really be trusted to provide the lifetime care that the individual wants for their pets. A fourth thing that could happen would be failure to leave written instructions for the pet caregiver. So not only do we have to create the trust, but we also have to leave written instructions for how the pets really should be cared for their veterinary history, their likes and dislikes, their personality traits, all of the things that are going to add up to making sure that our pets are cared for in the way that we would intend. A fifth mistake is the failure to keep a person's plan updated so that those instructions are relevant at the time that the plan is implemented, which would be either the pet owner's disability or the pet owner's death. And then the other most common mistake, the sixth one, is the failure to employ the services of a legal practitioner in the preparation of the estate planning documents, and in this case, in the preparation of the pet trust. So I don't think that this is for do-it-yourselfers. I think that we should use legal professionals and other professionals to help in the creation and the maintenance of these pet trusts moving forward for the benefit of our pets. Now, should specific animals be named in the trust? I occasionally have a client who wants to specifically name all of their existing animals in their in their pet trust, and that's fine. I'm happy for them to do it. But at the same time, I want to also include a more generic description of pets that would include any pet that that individual might own at their at the time of their disability or at the time of their death. And I'm happy to do it either way, either specific or generic, but I always want to make sure that there's some provision for additional pets that could become part of that um, individual's household. I always say that on a good day, I have three horses, four cats, and five dogs, but that number can vary depending on who I might be fostering or who might be visiting at any moment in time. And then the other issue that comes up that's interesting is offspring. So what if one of my animals has offspring, and how does that fit into how the trust would provide for that pet? Now, you mentioned a minute ago about preparing lists and or giving specific instructions. What are some of those specific details that people should remember? I think things that people should remember include things that, I mean, we take for granted on a daily basis, but things like food preferences, dietary instructions, 
What is the daily routine of our pet? What are their favorite toys? What are their grooming requirements? Do you keep them crated during the day or have they never been crated in their lifetime? What are their socialization issues if there are any? What type of medical care have they been provided with and what kinds of additional or special medical care do they need? I also like people to include their animals' likes and dislikes and then just basic information like name, nickname, a picture of the pet so that people can tell one pet from another, um, whether that animal was adopted, what its date of birth is, and then if that pet is microchipped or tattooed or has any other kind of identifying information, where that information can be found as well. Peggy, do you talk to your clients about providing instructions for the handling of the remains of their companion animal? I'm sure that's a very difficult subject to broach. We do have a conversation about what to do with a pet if the pet would die either during the client's lifetime or after the creation of the pet trust. And as you suggested, this is a really sensitive topic for a lot of people, but it does need to be addressed. Sometimes people want to have their pets buried either in a specific spot with a specific type of marker or memorial. Um, but other people want to have their pets cremated and have either the ashes interred in a common or a group manner or they want those ashes returned back to them so that they can do something special with those ashes themselves or for the people that they've designated. There are professional organizations out there. One that I can mention is the International Association of Pet Cemeteries that can provide additional guidance or suggestions to individuals in this area. And if a person does want to include specialized instructions, they should make sure that they have those instructions in writing as well. And the one example I like to give is that I have um, one client who wants to have all of her pets cremated after her passing. She wants her ashes maintained until such time as all of those pets pass, and then she wants all of those ashes mixed together and then distributed in a special place that she's selected. It seems that many of the critical facts that we have discussed change during the life of the client. So how do you tell the client to deal with this? A lot of these critical facts do change, and I'm glad you brought that up. I like to say that clients have to be aware of the four L's in their life. The first is changes in their life, both family circumstances, the way the, that they have pets. Do they have two now and they're going to have four later or do they have four now and they're going to have two later? And then their financial circumstances as they change over time. The second L is changes in the law. And these are changes in the law that might affect their planning, and these could include both state law, federal law, or even judge-made law. The third L is changes in their lawyer's experience. I sometimes say tongue-in-cheek, this is not changes in their lawyer, because we obviously don't want them to change their lawyer periodically, but just changes in their lawyer's experience, meaning that their lawyer may become more effective over time in the ways that they can help them create plans that are going to protect their pets. And then the last L is changes in their legacy, the way they want to leave their wealth um, and their wisdom behind for not only family members but also for their pets. So I recommend really that people update their estate plans on a regular basis, generally a two- to three-year type of rotation. The interesting thing, though, that's been discovered is that most people do not update their estate plans on a regular basis, and the National Network of Estate Planning Attorneys did a very informal survey, but they discovered that on average, people update their estate plans only every 19.6 years. 
And to me, that's amazing. Can you think of anything that might have changed in your life during the last 20 years? Are there any other comments you'd like to make concerning people and their companion animals and estate planning before we wrap up? I think we've really said a lot. I would really encourage people to take the matter of planning for their pets very, very seriously and not assume that a family member or a friend or someone else is going to assume the responsibility for the care of an individual's pets. The Humane Society of the United States has estimated that between 4 and 5 million pets are euthanized annually because a pet owner either failed to properly plan for the pet, either at disability or death or just through pure um, irresponsible pet ownership. But pet ownership is a lifetime responsibility. And there's a lot of good organizations out there that can help people plan for their pets that are really working hard to talk to folks about creating a lifelong legacy for the pet. And the one that I think is really important for people to look at is an organization called secondchanceforpets.org. And it's second, 2ND, chance, for, and the number four, pets.org. But they're doing an awesome job, and we can all do our part to help plan for our pets. Thank you, Peggy. For more information about the Animal Law Committee, our speaker, and our committee subcommittee on trust and estates, you can visit www.abanet.org slash tips slash animal. Hi, this is Ginger again. You can read more about this subject in Tip's recent publication entitled Litigating Animal Law Disputes, a Complete Guide for Lawyers. This interview is a series of co-produced by the Animal Law Committee and ABA Publishing. Other interviews can be found on the TIPS webpage. As a former TIPS diversity officer, I can tell you that TIPS has demonstrated a commitment to promoting diversity in its leadership. Last year, in its Goal 9 report, the ABA's Commission on Mental and Physical Disability Law recognized TIPS as the ABA entity with the highest percentage of persons with a disability in its primary leadership positions. Those positions included elected officers, section chair, and chair-elect, council members, and nominating committee members, physicians considered to be among the most influential within the ABA's divisions, forums, and sections. TIPS also excels at appointing persons with a disability at its general committee chair and vice chair levels. Please join TIPS and partner with colleagues who are making a difference in our profession. Thanks for listening to this edition of Legal Tips. We hope you'll listen to the rest of this special series brought to you by the Tort Trial and Insurance Practice Section of the American Bar Association. Legal Tips is produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network.